0: Welcome to the Rolling Passions podcast. This podcast is one part of a research project with the same name, which seeks to explore autistic adults' passionate interests from a socio-cultural perspective. I'm Chris Bailey, an autistic senior lecturer and researcher from sheffield Hanlem University, and across a series of episodes, I'll be reflecting on aspects of autistic lived experience in relation to what are often called autistic special interests. I'll be talking to other autistic people about their own interests in order to illuminate the complexity and diversity of autistic culture as a means of depathologising the discourse around autism. I'm grateful to the UK Literacy Association, the UKLA, for funding this project with a research grant and to Sheffield Hallam University for supporting the project with a fellowship. You can find more about the project itself by going to the website at www.rulingpassions.wordpress.com Welcome again to the Ruling Passions podcast. Um, I'm excited and honored to be joined by another guest um, who's going to talk about their interests.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I'm so excited about this. Um, my name's Katie Toomey. I'm a lecturer in language and communicative development, um, which is a long title for psychologist, um, mm. at Manchester University. I was diagnosed, but I've always known there's something a bit magical about me. Um, And I was diagnosed as autistic um, about three years ago when I was 38 or 37, do the maths properly. Um, My diagnosis came after a period of poor mental health, so I'd been diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder and panic disorder, which was making it hard to um, leave the house, let alone function as a lecturer. Um, But I was really lucky to have support from a really dear friend of mine, Alex Sturrock, who is an autism diagnostician and a highly specialized speech and language therapist and a researcher in autism who specializes in autism in women without intellectual disability. So when I raised this possibility with her she was massively validating and really supportive um, because I'd always told myself you know you're not autistic enough or stop making a fuss you can cope with this situation everyone else can so i just felt a bit silly kind of raising it as a possibility but alex was really so supportive and then i was having cbt uh, cognitive behavioral therapy um to deal with my anxiety disorder and i raised it with my therapist and she was also very supportive and then said that she'd been thinking that might be a possibility all along
0: okay
1: yeah so um then i went and got diagnosed which was just everything clicked into place it was amazing I don't know if your experience was similar but I was just like of course that's why I'm the way I am and it just made me be able to forgive my idiosyncrasies and almost embrace my idiosyncrasies and you know spend time on special interests I know that's what we're going to be talking about and yeah it was just wonderful being diagnosed and I wish there was more it infuriates me that I'm very privileged to be able to go private it was very expensive, but worth it, I think. But there are so many people, and I think maybe in particular women who aren't getting diagnosed because A, there's stereotypes around what autism looks like, but B, the waiting lists are just so long that they they drop off the bottom of them. Like it's it's awful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really good to hear you talk like really positively about the impact that um, diagnosis had for you. Um, yeah, very similar for me. Um, my I, I was diagnosed two years ago, I think, or just over, and um, I did get an NHS diagnosis. So I, I went through it. That, I went through that waiting list period. But yeah, I think um, lots of people that I've spoken to for this project, who well, whether they were diagnosed earlier in life or whether they were diagnosed later, has, have um, understood the process of diagnosis and the kind of revelation that it gives them yeah to be really positive um so yeah that's that's again it's really good to hear someone else say the same thing and yeah for me as well that kind of hesitancy about asking people if they thought I yeah. might be before and it's a shame that people find themselves in that position um as if you're not going to be listened to but no it's it's it. it, it It's a good thing, isn't it, in the end?
1: It was a 100% good. There was nothing... I did go through maybe a tiny period of thinking, I can't undo this now that it's done. But then that that didn't last... That lasted a few days, and I was like, actually, this is amazing. And I just feel so much more free to be myself. Like, I've ditched all of the masking that I used to do. I know where to set boundaries now, and I know where to kind of direct my energies into things that I find really interesting and that I'm really good at. Um, So I just... I'm just, it's the best thing I ever did even better than getting my PhD
0: <laughs> amazing yeah it, it 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 can feel like an achievement can't it because you do have to go through that yeah process of um personal growth and change and doing things that feel a bit scary for you to be able to get what you need from other people
1: yeah um You have to be your own advocate, Mm. Um, which is why I'm doing things like, you know, going and giving talks and doing this podcast and stuff because I want to be an advocate. But there is an element of frustration that is always the person who's in the minority who has to do the advocacy. But then at the same time, I think it's very important, you know, that... uh, nothing about us without us kind of yeah, yeah. mentality that these things need to be participatory so you don't want the neurotypical person coming down you know from on high and telling you what you need it needs to we need to have voices which is why I love doing stuff like this yeah, So thank you
0: <laughs> well thank you for thank you for uh agreeing um so you've already mentioned this idea yes, there sorry. Of, no no it's good Jump it's, the gun. <laughs> this is what it's about this uh the focus of this podcast is what are often called special interests and that's a that's a term that is recognizable to people that autistic people have what are often called special interests so something i ask everyone um for a start is what do you think about that term are you are you okay with that term special interests? are you okay with applying that to yourself and yeah. if so um what what how do you define that? What do you mean by it when you think about special interests?
1: Yeah, I mean, the term itself, I'm absolutely fine with. Um, and in a way, it's it's a lot better than people saying, oh, you're obsessed with that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this yeah, is yeah. my special magical interest, and I love it. Um, but it was interesting. I was thinking about what it actually means, and talking to my other half, who's probably eavesdropping upstairs, um, <laughs> about what it means to me and I think that one thing is that you I I feel like I personally have long-term special interests that have been with me throughout life and then I have ones that kind of come and go so I get really into things for a couple of months or so and then it changes and I get really interested in something else so it feels like I've got two different types like the enduring ones and then the more fleeting ones.
0: Would you say that you have interests that aren't special interests? And what kind of, or, or are you always all in on everything? Or, or can you be interested in stuff that isn't that kind of deep or broad interest?
1: That's really interesting. Um, can I be? Ooh. I, yeah, no, I think I can. So I like, I really like cooking, for instance.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Um, but it's not a special interest.
0: No, yeah, yeah.
1: So I can be interested in stuff is isn't a special interest. But there's something about when I'm engaging with my special interests, I just get hyper-focused and it's almost like a feeling of exhilaration.
0: Yeah.
1: And so cooking doesn't do that for me. It sort of relaxes me. Yes. But really, you know, I'll go into the, the specifics of my, my interests
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: in a bit. But, you know, engaging engaging with them is... Sometimes it almost feels euphoric and that makes it really hard on you're not allowed to do that um, when, you know, when you have to do boring admin for work. So like, obviously mm-hmm. my research is, is, speaks to my special interest and I could sit at my desk for six hours solid coding away on anal- analyses and just not even notice the time passing. I, I forget to eat frequently when I'm really in the zone. Um, I forget to go to the loo sometimes. Um, and... So then you know trying to claw yourself away from that and do something that you're not interested in is really hard
0: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that when you know how absorbed and fascinated you can be by something it feels a shame to not, not be to able feel like to that do all the it. time yeah absolutely but having jobs and even <laughs> lives that need maintenance of, of no. houses or bodies or whatever it's we don't <laughs> that, have chance to to do those things all the time I also wonder if 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 we could indulge our interests all of the time I wonder if I would maintain that interest yeah
1: maybe we'd habituate I think they evolve though so you you start here and then you discover this interesting thing and this interest and so so I wonder whether it'd be more like a journey that you take through related kind of topics or whatever I think that's what it would be with me
0: interests can be quite fluid can't they and 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 like you've we'll talk specifics in a moment but you've talked about there being long-term interests and uh shorter term interests but actually I think if I think about some of my long-term interests I'm not just interested in exactly the same thing as I have been all of my life but that that the theme of that long-term interest is kind of fluid and it's changed over time so it's yeah there's this idea the idea of special interest comes from the very medicalized literature originally, doesn't it? And there's this idea of um, special interest for autistic people being restrictive. I was just and,
1: thinking of the word and, restricted, yeah. And
0: repetitive and limited and
1: but that's uh, that's not- nonsense like all of the i've my so i've got a little kind of support group with autistic um students at manchester Great. um we're growing all the time which is nice um but the things that they're interested in it's not restricted or restrictive at all like one of my students is really interested in sharks but not just any sharks they have to be ancient sharks like dinosaur sharks or something that don't exist anymore yeah and was telling me about one that had rotating jaws which were circular and they rotated and it's wow. like that's not restrictive that's fascinating so i think i really don't like the medicalization of autism mm. it doesn't it doesn't reflect everybody's experiences
0: yeah absolutely so we've talked a little bit about the concept of special interest then so uh, the main focus of this podcast really is to talk to people about the things that particularly interest them so um <laughs> The floor is now open. Um,
1: Be careful if, what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, if you're going
0: to, if if you were it, given that, I, what what would you call your special interests?
1: If I was really to distill it down, it's understanding things, finding patterns in things, and there are so many things in the world that have patterns of different kinds, so that I, you know, I can find patterns in lots of different ways i guess and so i've got a variety of things um my longest term most enduring special interest is language so when i was little um they weren't teaching us enough french grammar at school so i taught it to myself and i also taught myself latin because i wow. had I can't remember any of it um <laughs> so there was that and then i did an English A-level, French A-level, then did two degrees, which I dropped out of, both in linguistics, and then eventually went to Sussex and did English language, and then a master's in psychology so that I could study the language, and then my PhD, which was in early language development, and now that's what my research is in, largely. Um, so I'm really interested in, sorry, I'm talking shop a bit now, but I'm really interested in understanding the interaction between a developing child and its environment and the linguistic environment. So I don't believe that we can understand language acquisition without also understanding what's going on in the child's body, for instance, like its body morphology, what the child's seeing, what environment, what broader context, non-linguistic context a child's in, because it's all a system, isn't it? Everything interacts. Um, so I've been really lucky that I've been able to pursue my special interest as, as my career, basically. Yeah, yeah. But I've relatively recently uh, transitioned to being a lecturer and I found that really, really hard because when I was a postdoc, which I did for five years, I could sit there and cogitate away and code and do experiments and all of that kind of stuff. And it was just glorious. But now I can't do so much of that. But on the other hand, I've worked with some absolutely incredible students and, you know, seeing the lights go on when you've explained something to them or, you know, working with my PhD students, who are absolutely fantastic, like that, is joyful as well. So I, I, you know, take pleasure in watching other people do the research now. So yeah, language is a is a big one. But then, I think it's to do with finding structure and things. Like I was saying, finding patterns. So I really, I got when the first lockdown happened, I got full on obsessed with doing puzzles, and it all started with like this Sherlock Holmes puzzle adventure series where you the, the, you get a little book with lots of text and you have to just solve the murder. So poor old Derek was, um, <laughs> had that inflicted on him. And then we started playing like detective puzzle games where you get a box full of evidence and you have to solve a murder. Um, and I spent 160 pounds on a series of six of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, God. But the rationale is we don't go to the pub at the moment. So That's that's our pub replacement. But yes, I'm really I I love them. I call them doing a Puzz. So we've got a Puzz to finish this weekend. Um, And that's about finding structure, isn't it? I guess like noisy data and finding the story behind them.
0: So although although those I mean, language itself, you've you've talked about language as a special interest, but there's so many different components to to language. and but language generally is of a kind of different form to um detective puzzle. well very different form to detective puzzle games but you're identifying that beneath those yeah there's a motivation about finding patterns
1: finding patterns um, and structures and it's
0: that 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 draws you in and motivates you yeah
1: exactly that and um i think i'm quite an abstract thinker so that that pattern-seeking thing comes into my work. So in some senses, I might be a bit unusual as a developmental psychologist because I tend to draw things from other literatures, other subfields, and apply them to my own discipline because I can see the commonalities between them, even though, you know, this might be a study with adults looking at, I don't know, working memory or something, but, you know, I can see how that applies to my subfield. And I really value being able to think like that. Finding, yeah, digging around in data. Um, And so similarly, I really love cryptic crosswords or I had a phase where (laughs) I did one every day. I was determined to understand how they worked. And I kept a big long list of all the ones that I'd done and all of that kind of thing. Um, And I think that comes from a similar kind of place.
0: That's really interesting. And I think other people have talked to me about patterns and finding patterns and seeing patterns and you were also talking about the drawing connections between things and that feels very familiar as well and yeah. draw, drawing connections from unexpected places i guess yeah. but there's and that some...
1: feeling when you draw the connection and your brain goes ping
0: yeah <laughs> really cool. absolutely i'm i'm often there's a there's a there's a phrase um in a piece of artwork a piece of sculpture that i saw at the sculpture um yorkshire sculpture park ages ago that often comes to mind um, in big neon lights this phrase everything is connected i can't remember no, I've the seen that yeah. yeah and it was also on the side of a building in manchester and i often kind of that springs back to mind um the idea of everything is connected and i i think you can draw connections between literally anything you can draw tenuous connections between anything but i think there are connections that people don't see um, or don't identify that um, th- do feel more um, resonant, I guess.
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: To some of us than others. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not saying by any means there is this kind of underlying superpower thing that all autistic people have, but I think there are, there is something about connections and seeing patterns with those connections that is something that feels familiar to me and that other people have talked about as well.
1: Yeah, I think, um, when I came up with this theory the other day that it's to do with not having an inner voice. So my friends were talking, my neurotypical friends were talking about their inner voices. And um, I was like, you've got a voice in your head that talks to you. What? Like I have zero, I have nothing. And I wonder, I don't know whether that's connected. I just, so I explained to them the way I think. They were like, if I didn't have my inner voice, I couldn't think. Yeah. Uh, that was just a really alien concept to me. Like, I can do it if I do it explicitly, but it isn't, an, it, you know, a bottom-up implicit thing. And I describe my thought processes as like abstractions. Yeah. So I wonder whether that's part of it, that abstract thinking, that helps you see distill the core pattern in things that are on the surface quite disparate. I don't know. Yeah, more that, research
0: needed absolutely <laughs> tons of research needed um I, that inner voice thing yeah that always confuses me because i always think well people can't literally mean a voice but i think hey, talk
1: about it like that so they, you don't have well, one either
0: I know, no i don't and also um it was a similar feeling when i i heard about um aphantasia and how i can't visualize in my mind's eye I no absolutely so and and it's but I'd, I'd spent my life assuming when people said visualize something they just meant conceptualize it or think about it but I can't see it but again with the inner voice it's like well I can't I can't actually hear it and people will be like well, I can and it's how it, how can you get through life not realizing that there's these fundamental differences but it's because we don't externalize them do we and we use Language going back to language, we use language to mean multiple things, yes. Yeah. So we can talk about seeing things literally, but we can also talk about seeing things as a metaphor. So yeah. Yeah, we yeah. say, How do you see it? and I think the language is sometimes imprecise, and so we Don't can need be talking, to tell
1: me that. yeah, <laughs>
0: absolutely, you'll know this very clearly. Um, and so we're talking at uh, we. We think we're talking about the same experience
1: but often because we're, we're using not. the
0: same words, but we're not. We're not. It's we're... the
1: same with synesthesia. I talk to people about synesthesia um, for people who don't know what that is, who might be listening. Um, it's when your senses become kind of linked. So for me, I see numbers, I don't see, but numbers have colors. So if someone were to tell me that five is green, I would fight them to the death because five is clearly orange. Okay. Um, but when I talk to people about this, they say things like, oh, yeah, no, one's over there and tens over here. And I'm like, well, that's spatial synesthesia. You've got number spatial synesthesia. But people have never verbalised the fact that they have these kind of really fascinating representations. Yep. So they don't know they have it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's. It, I don't think we do. We don't talk about these things, do we? I think because there is a presumption of the neurotypical default for everyone yeah I guess.
1: yeah I guess so they don't think it's something to talk about
0: yeah, yeah yeah um so language language has been a interest for you since you were very young then yeah and yeah that teaching yourself latin and, and french <laughs> to kind of feed that interest
1: yes yeah that's what it was and you know it's I thought it was quite interesting that I've only just thought of this actually but like The stuff that I was teaching myself was the grammar, the structure. I wasn't really viewing language as a means to communicate. I was interested in the structure of it itself. You know, how French and Latin could be similar, how French differs from English. I also did German GCSE and, you know, how the similarities between English and German. But I don't think I was interested in going to Germany or France and making German and French friends. I just wanted to understand the nuts and bolts of the language itself.
0: The language for this language for the sake of the language
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: and you said um that the interest in puzzle games came mm. during, during during lockdown specifically yeah. did, was there something about the situation you were in at that point that sparked that interest was it just looking for something to do or where did that kind of originate i think
1: what happened was so i, I um, talking to my friend Alex who I mentioned earlier she reminded me of when I was little how much I loved Agatha Christie books so I restarted reading them loads of autistic people like Agatha Christie which I find really interesting or the, or the ones that I've met um, and then I started really reading Sherlock Holmes because I absolutely loved the series Sherlock when that was on but that might because I had a crush on Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> I more to it than that um, and then somebody told me about the Sherlock homes puzzles so I bought them and you know you know how it feels when you're like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh special interest I'm, I'm, I'm in its claws now there's nothing I can do about it and it just went from there but also because it was you know lockdown one was very restrictive Derek and I would you know go to the pub at the weekend but obviously we couldn't do that so it was something that we could do together which was fun and it's just much to Derek's horror, probably. It's just carried on. (laughs) I love it so much.
0: It's good, but it's so, so that, that's something, that's something that you involve your partner with. Yes. Yeah. I'm really It's it's not, it's not a, it's not a purely solitary pursuit.
1: No, Um, I think um, that's one of the things about, one of the misconceptions, isn't it, about autism. It's not that we don't like people. It's not that we don't like socialising. We absolutely do. But, We like doing it, well, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I like doing it in shorter, controlled chunks. You know, I know how long this social interaction is going to last for, if it's with a big group of people, that is, Um, but yeah, it's, I like being on my own and like reading, so I read an awful lot. I need that time on my own to just kind of de-stress after a lot of social communication in the day. And Derek sits on the sofa opposite, opposite me and he reads his book. Um, So we're not interacting then, but, you know, dedicated interaction time. And also the thing with the puzzles is you're communicating with each other, but you're doing it with a purpose. Like, I can't abide things that neurotypical people like, like sitting around the kitchen table and just chatting. Like, it makes me want to scream and both our families do it. Like Christmas is just like, oh, you're not actually saying anything. So that affords a means of interaction interacting with a purpose. I've not thought about that before. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. It's doing something alongside someone. It's having a focus, isn't it? It's it's that shared time on something (laughs) that feels meaningful rather than the 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 terror of um small talk. (laughs)
1: Um, I think that's it. I don't like derive much meaning from purely social interactions. I feel like things have to have a, a purpose.
0: A function yeah this yeah, I yeah again this is something that's come up with several several people and um other people have talked about how their their special interests have given them a framework um by which they then conduct their social interactions that they want it's not feeling like they have to it's that they want but using those uh you finding other people who are interested in the things that we're interested yeah. in and spending um, meaningful time with people doing things that we value um yeah. as a preference to open-ended yeah open-ended social time, mm. uh, talk, <laughs> talking about the weather or oh. having having an opinion on um will Smith at the Oscars or whatever it is. Um,
1: yeah, it's it, not my not my cup of tea. No no,
0: no me neither. So language, um puzzles anything else
1: loads of other things yeah um <laughs> one that developed i've got to be careful talking about this because of what's happening in ukraine at the moment but yeah, yeah, yeah. before the russian invasion i have yeah. watched the chernobyl series and i got completely obsessed with the chernobyl disaster so i've now read All of the books that I can find about it and they include several with a lot of first-person testimonies from people who are working in the station or people who lived in Pripyat which is the town that was built to accompany that and house the residents of the the workers in the station Um, and then from there um, I started reading books by a woman called Svetlana Alexievich who is Belarusian but she wrote a book called A Chernobyl Prayer. And then I started reading her other books, which are about the Soviet Empire, the decline of the Soviet Empire, the Soviet war in Afghanistan, all of that kind of thing. So, And and then Putin invaded Ukraine. And yeah, I was like, that. what the hell? <laughs> like Because I now know so much about Ukraine, mm-hmm. Ukrainian culture, all of the things our country's been through. It was just so special. Yeah, so I'm not going to say that because i said before like special interest can be really joyful like it br- brings me no joy to be reading about these horrible things no. but I th- that's really difficult to explain actually but it's it's just really fascinating like there's so abstractions again so i noticed when i was reading all of the books actually that there are huge parallels between the management of the chernobyl disaster and the uk government's management of covid yes like, so one particular, one concrete example is that um, they, uh, the, there was they, the, the government, was it Russia then by that point? I can't remember. No, probably the Soviet Union still, but the Soviet government developed a narrative of radiophobia, yeah. like everybody get back to normal. Um, and that's kind of what the UK government are doing with COVID. So I think it's, so reading about stuff like that is a means of understanding the world we live in now, I think. <laughs> Yes. and that's why i found it so interesting and also another thing i should say is that my dad used to work in the nuclear industry making um uh devices to me- measure radiation so it's oh, always wow. been something i've kind of been interested in and yeah, yeah.
0: The, there's been that link lingering in the background but yeah. um yeah I, I the the chernobyl thing um thing disaster <laughs> thing um i f- I find really interesting as well I watched that series and thought it was fascinating I've watched have you seen, I presume you've seen the recent documentary as well where they've i
1: watched the first one but you know I was a real nightmare because I have read so many books about it I was sat there going to Derek that's not new information they've known that well. since the 80s <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: for a novice like me it will have been new information but <laughs> there yeah there's there's something fascinating about it isn't there and um yeah and of course in the in the news Uh, In the last few weeks, of course, um, Chernobyl directly on the daily news because of um, because of the invasion and literally the invasion uh, crossed into that territory. And
1: they went and dug trenches in the exclusion zone and all the Russian soldiers got radiation sickness.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I. can't even begin to imagine why that would be happening um <laughs> but yeah the, the so interests can be they don't have to be in these jolly fun entertaining domains do they it's like there's nothing like you said there's nothing there's nothing fun about um and or cheerful about Chernobyl but that depth of interest and that research that it sounds like
1: yeah I uh, guess I have yeah
0: you went through starting with the television program well starting actually you said with your your dad's dad and i've always been
1: interested in nuclear power
0: (laughs) well yeah i mean i've my interest in those things come comes from growing up during the 80s yeah and nuclear stuff was always in the news and they always felt like there was a a threat of something going to happen yeah and 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 Chernobyl being in the news at those times, so it's always kind of been something that's lingered in.
1: Yeah, I think I was, when head. did it happen? 1986, so I would yeah. have been five when it happened. So I, I do vaguely remember it. Yeah. I also, you just reminded me, I got, I developed a fairly short-lived special interest in those um Protect and Survive videos.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Perhaps, I was going to well, do a swear then, but like. <laughs> you
0: can do, I'm sure you can do a swear on this, I'm not sure on the rules, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I yeah, those things, there's there's this kind of weird for me, this nostalgia around yeah. that sort of like uh, problematic nostalgia, I guess. It's not like I want nostalgia tends to be wanting those things back, doesn't it? And how can it But it's not quite nostalgia, but it's um I think it's all tied up in this idea of this idea of hauntology and these other possible futures that could have come from from yeah. the past. Um, and yeah, and also I think it, it, those kind of sci- whether it's the Chernobyl disaster or those protect and survive or whatever, it, it almost is access to what feels like a different world. Um,
1: I was just thinking along similar lines. There's a line in the bell jar by Sylvia Plath where the protagonist, talks about this I can't remember the exact quote but some kind of strange euphoria when there's a disaster and talks about the possibility of change or all of the existing rules being gone yes. and so and I really I really don't want to sound like I'm diminishing what's going on now what happened then no, absolutely. But you know even in lockdown one like you there, I read articles in the Guardian constantly about about you know the sense of everybody coming together and Joe Wicks doing his stuff, which obviously I didn't engage with, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And the humanity of it all. People yeah. looking after each other, people supporting each other. Yeah. I've gone off on one a bit there. It's no, just,
0: but it's, it's like, there's like there was, I think at the beginning of the the pandemic, there was a sense of possibility
1: yes, that this could change.
0: change. In terms of the environment maybe yeah. because of everyone taking a step back and doing things differently um in terms of society understanding the value of everyone's play you know we the, the we, we applauded for nurses and yeah. supermarket workers were like heroes because they were still going out there and the way it was like people were being given credit in ways yeah. that actually you think people had been invisible previously. And it felt like there was an opportunity there that things might better. Go... And
1: at the moment I'm feeling a bit despondent because we don't seem to have learnt any bloody lessons, sorry, <laughs> any lessons whatsoever. Yeah. Um yeah. It's and the... also from an autistic perspective, you know, it autistic people finally could control their own environments because they're all locked in our houses like it it, so for me I was actually really happy at the beginning of lockdown one on a day to day level because I wasn't doing a two hour and back commute to Manchester on a rammed train Northern Rail oh my god um and you know I could get out into nature for an hour every day which I couldn't do when I was working in Manchester because I live in Lancaster so
0: yeah so you've got quite a commute
1: yeah but um so we go and walk and lancaster is only a small town and you can walk out into the countryside really quickly so and nature is another one of my special interests but um yeah so i could go and look at leaves and you know find interesting twigs and things like that um so there were benefits but i mean for, on a personal level i'm really lucky i've got a fantastic um line manager who isn't expecting me to come back into work five days a week. So I will be doing, uh, I haven't been back to my office, actually, are you in your office?
0: I am in my office, yeah, Yeah, I am. Um,
1: But yeah, I haven't been back. Um, So we'll we'll see what unfolds later, but yeah, there were some big uh, advantages actually. I think what people don't understand, so I've got, um, you know, neurotypical friends who are quite extroverted and I know some of them really struggled and it was horrible, Seeing them finding it so difficult, but I don't think enough people understand that for autistic people, recharging means being on our own, whereas for say my best friend, for her, recharging means going to be with people.
0: Yes, yeah. There's there's, there's different ways in which people encounter the same things, aren't there? And, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I'm. I, I'm not. I won't go into detail here because I'm. I, it's not about me. But when. Um, I am in the office because actually, um, the office is um, because I've got two kids, and oh, yeah, yeah, the office is actually often a quiet place where I can focus and get things done. Um, And that division of work between work and home is really important to me. So, actually, for me, having a space to go to do work feels really important although I am fortunate enough to have space at home and we've we negotiated all sorts of like this is how this is work time that that kind of thing so there were um and there were there were things like like you said about going out into nature and I would go running um yeah. for my for my daily exercise while I was there so there were all sorts of ways of negotiating but um yeah I've lost my train of thought we were talking about the yeah there there were changes that were potential during the COVID period and lockdown and I think yeah for some people um, like you work is very good for me accommodating for me and uh, I do have the privilege of being able to come in when I want and be at home when I want a lesson teaching in which case I have to be in Um, but I think generally a lot of those principles may be forgotten because as an institution or or institutions already are organizing things where people just have to be there in person again and so although our yeah our personal experiences may be very good but I think a lot of those potential lessons and those potential alternative futures that could have happened are just kind of getting discarded again for going back to what people would call normal um, yeah
1: even though hundreds of people are dying every day but who cares
0: absolutely so we (laughs) That, where did we how did we get there? We got from the idea of um lost futures and other potential futures coming from we've gone on the, quite a
1: journey. <laughs> where we've made
0: some connections there, haven't we? We've made some abstract connections. Yeah. Absolutely. Um but yeah, those those kind of and, and that came from Chernobyl and thinking about Chernobyl. And um you talked about Chernobyl and your research around that as a way of understanding. The world because you were I think making so yeah.
1: You see these repeating patterns, don't you, in history?
0: Absolutely. And uh, I think absolutely not I'm not a historian myself, no. although we all have an interest in certain parts of history. But yeah, we do talk about history as a way of understanding, but also what you've talked about a couple of times. Um, in terms of being younger, and also you specifically referred to um the Belgiar Sylvia Plath. You've talked a bit yeah. about reading. Um Yeah. And I love
1: reading when I was little there's this story I don't know whether it's real or not that my dad when I was little caught me in the shower with one arm out <laughs> reading a book and washing myself with the rest of the uh, rest w- w- glitching um yeah anyway you get the idea but yeah I, I yeah. I'm a bit of I used to read a lot of fiction when I was little I got obsessed with a, a series of books called the chalet school stories which is stories about a girls school in the 1920s through to like the 1950s so I had 64 of them to plow through wow. and I joined the fan club and I used to go and scour second-hand bookshops for hardback copies of the books and yeah I just I've got books there, books there. Derek is um, currently doing a MA in English literature, so he loves reading too. And I just fear that one day we're going to wake up dead under a pile of books. (laughs) One thing that I've been doing more recently is reading books about maths. Um, I've got an A level in maths. I've got a C, so it's not my strongest point. But um, I just become really fascinated in, you know, the big mathematical concepts like uh infinity so i've been reading about um, Gödel and and uh, gauss and you know the famous old almost universally men who made these huge scientific advances and i find yeah again it's finding like, i i think pure mathematics is beautiful i could i find beauty in it because it's these lasting pure clean relationships between things outside our physical world. I just, I I don't know, I find it so... I remember getting taught um, how calculus, the proof of calculus, basically, when I was doing my GCSE maths um, by a really amazing maths teacher, Miss Howarth, if you're still out there anywhere. Um, And I just remember being kind of transfixed by it and just thinking, this is something that holds in the world outside humans. That's mad. (laughs) So I've been feeding that kind of bit of my... At the moment, I've got a system. I read one book on Chernobyl and then one on maths, and I alternate.
0: <laughs> so very much non-fiction at this point. At the moment. Yeah,
1: I've gone very non-fiction. And I think I always used to read fiction when I was little, because it was kind of expected of you, if you're a girl. But now I know what I know—that I am a magical unicorn. I just, you know, throw <laughs> caution to the wind and read massive poems about.
0: I like you know, how you've how you've talked about being mag- magical a couple of times. I think that's really that's a really positive way of, uh, of of framing your experience. Part of this project and part of my research prior to this, or a big part of my research really, is about literacies and literacy okay. and, and reading being a literacy practice. So when you're reading is is the process of reading is that a motivation do you You mean always... like the
1: fact that it's quiet time and
0: I guess I'm getting yeah. at which if we break reading down uh, and thinking a bit more detail about it for example if I've got a book about something it's almost like I want to get through the whole thing so I know the stuff in it but then other books it might be there is pleasure in Every page in the yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering what your relationship with reading is like.
1: That's it. It depends what the book is. So all of this stuff about maths, I'm not in any way claiming to understand all of it, but I want the information and I want the ideas so that I can chew on them and think about how they might apply in different, you know, uh topics, whatever. But then I'm also a big fan, I do read, I have not recently but i have read a lot as an adult a lot of fiction and i like reading authors like margaret atwood i was so sad when the fat handmaid's tale became everyone's favorite book that's my favorite book um and angela carter tony morrison alice walker people like that who write really beautiful prose yes so i don't have a very vivid visual imagination but I, I've, I've described it in the past as almost like the flavour of two words next to each other, mm. you know, just that really exquisitely careful placement of words. That's me reading not for the information, but for the kind of sensation, I guess. Yes. There's maybe two different types of reading.
0: I, the, the, so the reading for information and reading for the joy of reading, as well as yeah. the next, you said, you know, quiet time on your own and um, it occupying you. Do you ever um, – I have real – probably because i i'm also uh, i also have a diagnosis of adhd oh, okay i find reading hard work um largely making myself stick at it although i do get hyper fixated on certain texts often i find reading quite hard work if you pick up a book can you always focus on it or <laughs> Um, um,
1: not always. So sometimes, you know, reading for work, reading papers. If it's a paper that's, you know, verbose and badly written, I just have to. I end up. I find I end up sliding my eyes across the page and not actually doing any thinking about it. So, yeah, it isn't. It. I, if it's a. If it's something I'm interested in, I can sit down and read for hours on end, and I'll okay. lose track of time. But yes. if it's something I'm not interested in, then I find it hard to force myself to be interested. Um, I don't have a diagnosis of ADHD I know a lot of autistic people have that kind of co-diagnosis I think for me it probably isn't a thing because I do have this ability to focus but it has to be something that I'm interested in yeah so
0: yeah I find for me my best way of reading is actually listening listening to audiobooks Um, oh my
1: god podcasts I didn't think of that yeah
0: podcast yeah the audio the what is it about for you then what is it about podcasts because again I would think that I would think of that as a kind of reading because the yeah. pro, you're taking words and whether it's information or whether it's like you talked about the beauty of words put together you're taking those in so what is it about podcasts for you
1: well I think on a practical level I'm rubbish at not doing anything so I think I said before I had anxiety disorder and if yeah. I don't do stuff I start getting anxious Same and that's yeah. also to do with having structure and routine in your day I've figured out so yes I, I have to plan my days off so that I know what I'm doing and yeah. um, so at the weekend I put my noise cancelling headphones on essential piece of autistic person kit and I do the housework and I listen to podcasts but a lot of the podcasts are similar sort of they're all factual detective there's a, a theme of being detectives or you know murder podcasts and stuff like that so again it's this solving puzzles
0: I guess yeah and and also there's like that that idea of um talked about Chernobyl not being this like happy positive thing that you're interested in but also like many people are interested in crime crime, and murders and um it it, interests don't have to be just in happy Happy, positive things do they But, but we can kind of enjoy the depth of them and enjoy the the intrigue and the... the...
1: I think the word depth, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's something that you can really get your teeth, something that needs to be understood. So I won't claim that I don't watch terrible reality TV and Derek will probably say that I watch more than I should do, but I find that so much less fulfilling than something that I had to put a bit of effort into understand yeah there's a, there's a satisfaction isn't there in understanding something pushing yeah. your brain
0: after after this when we finish finished talking if you were going to do something to relax what would you choose to do read a book okay it would be reading
1: because it doesn't involve me so for me and i think maybe for quite a lot of autistic people i i am i'm really enjoying this i enjoy communication but yes. the act of preparing the next upcoming sentence and like gluing your thoughts to your words and getting them out of your mouth and <laughs> arranging all your articulatory organs like it takes effort it does and i by the end of the day I'm always completely out of spoons I'm just like a zombie and I go into a bit of a shutdown but then if I'm reading I'm still doing something that I find valuable whilst you know building back my energy
0: yeah absolutely and and it's yeah you're doing something constructive but you're also doing it on your own without having to put anything out there.
1: I think it's not like, that's just, again, these, the the myths surrounding autism. It's not that we don't want to communicate, Mm. but it takes effort. I've found so I'm meeting increasingly more um, autistic people as time goes on. And I would a hundred times rather have a two hour conversation with an autistic person than with a neurotypical person, just because we could like, Talking to you, I'm even watching the way we move our bodies and there yeah, is similarities there. But we communicate, or I feel at least that I find you very easy to talk to, whereas neurotypical people not so much, maybe. Yeah, and that's I... to do different things. So so look, see, we talk over each other, but that's what autistic people do because we can't do turn taking, but if there's some aspects like I know that if I get inarticulate you're not going to judge me because mm. you experience the same things, it's but same it's something thing. more than that, I think and I, I think, can't quite put my finger on it but
0: I think what's interesting you said the movement thing and I think the movement <laughs> I think one of the things you know when you know when you you get diagnosed or or, or even through self-diagnosis or whatever um, people work out that they're autistic. And then you realise there's a the masking, and you've been doing things that aren't you. And I yes. think for a start, I thought there was probably just this list of things that I did that I would change. But I've come to realise it's a lot more subtle than that, and a lot of it is the movement and yeah. ha- how you're conditioned to move in a way by the world. Um, Nick Walker writes a bit about this. In, oh, write that down. Yeah, Nick Walker writes about this in 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 her newest book um and it, it's that um it's that conditioning and often gendered conditioning around how people move and how you should move and you learn very early on to mask and yeah. I think masking is very subtle and the subtleties of movement are one of those things um I think I move a bit freer now because yeah. I realize that there are these there's this uh internal desire to move in particular ways particularly when I'm communicating
1: when I'm excited (laughs) yeah and
0: and particularly particularly when I'm communicating I think I now don't feel like I have to hold myself still yeah but also I think that's the case with different people yeah and so I know there's a different way of moving that where I feel more comfortable and then when I'm speaking to someone in a particular context and I know I can just let myself be more myself um, which increasingly I think I can do in more contexts.
1: Yeah, it's coming. So for me, it's a slow process as well. The more people who know I'm autistic, the freer I feel to actually move in the way that I want to move. Mm. I always describe myself as a flailer. Um, so I really use my hands a lot. And I've noticed, you know, we've been doing online teaching and stuff, so I've watched my videos back and I'm always doing all of this kind of thing. Um, but I, I feel free to do that now because people will think you know well she's autistic and you know that's yeah
0: i know and, and that's threats. just a, that's what they do the autistic. I'm doing like, yeah then what,
1: the unicorn gang yeah and also doing like stimming things yeah. like you know i'm twiddling my fingers around and i have my my rattly conker this is my greatest teaching aid it's a conker that rattles amazing but um, yeah, okay. I when i'm communicating i always have it in my hand because I don't know, it just seems to, to, to help me with the processing that's involved in communication. Oh, what's that?
0: I have an empty 35mm film <laughs> canister, which, which visually I just find a thing of beauty anyway, the dimensions and the size of it. But it also nice. it's also really good for twisting. It's got twisting. Oh, yes. And so I just Love sit it. there doing that a lot of the time. So I've got one of those here. I've got one of those on my I've desk. Got, um, at home.
1: In case something happens to Ratley conker, I've got a bowl Spares, of Yes, That's good. <laughs> but um yeah so I think all of that so con- I'm kind of specially interested in conkers as well actually I, if in conker season I can't come home without pockets full of them the house they're gets just up.
0: they're just so beautifully formed aren't they they're
1: so wonderful and yeah. it's magic there's a little tree in there so sorry about yeah. conker. I haven't allowed you to fulfill your potential but they're just so they're so beautiful I love them they make me really really. so that's a special interest that brings me joy just finding a good conqueror like yes
0: and you talked about earlier nature and
1: yeah
0: um again nature is nature's a big thing uh, I think most people have heard of nature and it's a big thing <laughs> um but there's so there's but we can talk about special interest in nature but then you drill down and there's so many different kind of aspects to yeah. it aren't there there's so conquers but, there's... A conkers, but yeah. patterns
1: so you know um the way that the seeds in a sunflower are arranged adhere to the Fibonacci sequence. Oh, like, wow. I can sit there and think about that for a very long time. It's just like, poof. and then um, you can find other kinds of mathematical sequences in, in ferns, for instance, or Nautilus shells adheres to the, the golden ratio. Um, so yeah, for me, it's finding patterns in nature. Um, I've got, can I show you what one of my <coughs> Christmas presents was? Mm. It's pretty really cool. It's a, set of calipers arranged oh, so you can see such that the ratio between this and that is the golden ratio. Oh so you amazing. can take them out on a walk and find the golden ratio in nature. Amazing. It's really cool. <laughs> Isn't
0: it yeah
1: so yeah it's again this link between I don't know structuring structuring what on the surface seems to be an unstructured world is I just Boggles my brain. So when I was little, I used to collect shells and stuff, and I've got like a pile of pine cones over there because they're so beautiful and yeah. Fibonacci sequence too. Um, so it's that. It's really that that pattern. But I'm a nightmare when we go on walks because every five minutes I'll be like, "Oh, look at that! Oh, ooh, look at that!" And, you know. <laughs> but it's all just so interesting i really like moss i had a debate with a friend who i suspect is also autistic about whether moss or lichen was better and i asked her as kind of a joke and she was like oh i'm gonna have to think about that she took it really seriously which is
0: it's an an important question Um, before we draw to a close is there anything else that you were hoping to introduce today that you haven't had chance to, or anything I, you wanted to add?
1: I think I've covered the main obsessions. Um, they come and go, don't they? So you could ask me again this time next year and it'd be something else, probably. Language yeah. is never going anywhere. Um, but uh but yeah, no, I think I just really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I could go on for hours.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, no, I could go on for hours listening, but I tend to think. Um, podcasts a podcast have a a kind of oh yes, yeah, so you've got an audience. Length. I know, <laughs> I know. You have to remember the audience. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. And it's
1: been fantastic. Thank you so much for giving
0: another fascinating perspective.